As of 2020, more than 56% of the world's population lives in urban areas. And by 2050, the UN says that number is expected to skyrocket to 68%. So how are cities balancing increasing resident populations with technology and sustainability? Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. This month, we're exploring how technology, in its many roles, is impacting society and investing. On this episode of our tech mini-series, we're talking about smart cities. Today, I'm pleased to introduce two guests, Brooks Rainwater, Director of National League of Cities Center for City Solutions, and Jane DiGiacomo, Managing Director with BlackRock's Global Real Assets Business. Together, we'll break down how smart cities are tackling sustainability, the importance of cooperation between the public and private sector, and the many ways these cities are seeking to improve the quality of life of their most important asset, their people. Brooks and Jane, thank you so much for joining us on The Bid. It's nice to be here. Great to be here today. So Brooks, I'd like to start with you. I've heard of a smartphone. I've heard of a smart tablet. What makes a city smart? I think what makes it a smart city is first and foremost using innovation and technology to better the experience of living and working in that city. You know, we defined it a few years back as a smart city being a city that has developed some technological infrastructure that enables it to collect, aggregate, and analyze real-time data and has made a concerted effort to use that data to improve the lives of its residents. Cities are kind of growing amorphous things that the best cities are those that are hundreds of years old. And technology is the layer that undergirds that and allows you to do even more within that place. When we think about things like smart mobility or environmental monitoring, what we want to be able to do is let people live better lives through the usage of technology. The end goal of a smart city is not the technology itself. Cities have to be about people. I also want to mention that the definition of a smart city has evolved over time. For example, the city of D.C. changed the definition a few years ago to be less tech-focused and more focused on how to train and prepare its employees, residents, and businesses for the digital age. And other cities have shifted from this tech-first to a resident-first approach, with another example being Portland, Oregon. In your role, you are basically facilitating the dialogue among leaders who can help build up a smart city. And those leaders probably span a number of different stakeholders. What are some of the hurdles that you see and how can we make progress? While cities will need to be innovative in how they use tech and build smart cities, they also need to be innovative about their financing models and how they fund these projects. One challenge associated with that is financing technology at scale before the solutions have proven their value. One example of a city that's already trying to find ways to address this is Philadelphia, which has developed a pitch and pilot program that allows technology to be trialed, tested, and measured before the city invests in it at full scale. So Jane, how are investors thinking about smart cities? Well, it's absolutely an area where we need government to lead. We need local planning, but the cost is too high for governments to bear alone. And this is where private capital can help. Oftentimes, it's a combination of public-private partnerships. I mean, let's take waste management, for example. It's historically been the purview of government, right? Garbage and taxes. There are projects that convert waste to energy. The government receives a service from the private company, and the investor receives a nice, stable income stream. 
and the community benefits from jobs and a cleaner energy and waste management solution. So that's a really good example of a consortium of stakeholders in a public-private partnership to get these projects done. Brooks, I'm just curious, how do you measure the progress of a smart city? Cities consider themselves smart based on goals they set and how they achieve those goals. In general, what we're seeing is the goal of smart cities is to improve residents' quality of life, where smart cities used to be focused purely on the tech side, and the communities weren't necessarily asking for some of the services that were coming online. And that approach largely failed because cities weren't trusted with data and technology, especially in underserved communities, and lacked the systems to process the data that new technologies offered. So it's really getting that holistic piece together. So community members feel like they're being served and that you're hitting on all of these key verticals, whether you're talking about energy, whether you're talking about mobility and transportation, or whether you're talking about pure service delivery. All of these can be enhanced through technology, but it needs to be a two-way conversation as we figure out what tech works best in what city. What are some of the technologies that you're excited about that you're seeing in smart cities? I think they really run the gamut, but what's important is a smart city uses current technology and innovative policy and design tools to meet the needs to improve the lives of the people in that community. An example can be seen in the city of Dallas, where they decided to lean heavily on technology in their COVID response, but they quickly learned they had a language issue. While the city had previously provided some translation options for resident-facing services, the pandemic made clear that there was a greater need for translation in more languages across many more services. In response, the city created a map outlining the most commonly spoken languages in each zip code, which enabled it to dedicate specific translation resources in those places and reach more residents. And as the world becomes more connected with each passing day, we've got to make sure that as we're thinking about these technological solutions, inclusion and equity are right there in the middle of it. Jane, what other technologies are you seeing that are interesting today in these smart cities? Well, digitization of all types has accelerated since the onset of the pandemic, particularly. The build-out to 5G continues. There are things like distributed antenna systems that will enhance connectivity in places like buildings and stadiums. They'll provide higher security and better coverage than Wi-Fi. How we eat is transforming. In Asia, large-scale temperature-controlled facilities meet the demand for fresh produce and protein. And that trend is going to need significant capital to modernize the food supply chain and health and safety standards. And then there's products like Smart Glass, where each pane of glass has an IP address. It's programmed to control light and temperature. And the result is better energy efficiency and they use that a lot in airports, a good example of reducing carbon footprint of existing buildings by upgrading the windows. Jane, Brooks has talked a lot about the evolution in some of the smart cities around in the U.S. What other ways do you see smart cities evolving from your perspective of the investment lens? Yeah, and I sit in the real assets group, do a lot of work in real estate, and there's a big push to decarbonize buildings and use more energy efficient green space and new technologies like remote and touchless security. And there's been big strides in building management integration. This is where you can see the system's whole capacity, how energy is flowing in individual buildings and even across whole real estate portfolios. And this area of prop tech has been really fueling a fundraising boom in the venture capital world. But we can't build our way out of this. The bigger lever is the reduction of energy consumption of existing buildings. We have to do it 
in order to offset the increase in energy demand and consumption worldwide. The International Energy Agency estimates that about 80% of the buildings that will be standing in 2050 are already standing today, and that's just in the UK. If you look at Berlin and Frankfurt, they have newer stock. Paris, Madrid, Munich, on average, they have older building stock. In New York, for instance, in the city, average building age is about 70 years. So retrofitting buildings is really important to reducing the carbon footprint. I've heard you mention a number of cities. Are there any other cities or, for that matter, countries that you feel are doing the smart city concept well and that we should be thinking about modeling ourselves after? Yeah, I think there's a number of international cities that are doing this incredibly well. Singapore is always one that's kind of top of any smart city lists, followed by Tokyo, of course, New York City and London. And having spent time in all these cities over the year, you can really visibly see some of the innovations that have taken place. And right now, the U.S., Western Europe and China account for 70 percent of the world's total spend on smart cities. But investment is growing most quickly in Latin America and Japan. And while that growth is currently largely focused within developed cities, investment opportunities are quickly expanding in the developing world. 70% of smart city growth potential lies in cities that invest less than $1 million a year. And that means there's a lot of opportunity for greater investment in smart city projects around the world. A couple cities I would point to, though, here in the U.S. are L.A. and Austin. I've just been really impressed by the work that they're doing. Within the city of Austin, they've used smart tech to curb traffic and improve congestion issues by altering existing city sensors to analyze traffic data and provide improved signal timing recommendations, which will help save hours of productivity spent in traffic, and even more important, thousands of tons of greenhouse gas emissions. So I think there's a lot of exciting things happening both in cities around the world as well as here in the U.S. So Brooks, the United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP26, recently took place in Scotland. And in fact, the final daily theme of the conference was cities, regions, and the built environment. So clearly cities are a focus and a concern on the path to net zero. Was there anything that struck you about how leaders are now looking at sustainability in cities? Unfortunately, from COP21 to COP26, we didn't see a lot of great things happen climate-wise. And so what strikes me as so important here with COP26 is that cities are where climate initiatives impact people directly. I feel like there really is this consensus now around the world to meet the goals because as time goes by, the goals become more and more of a challenge. I mean, I've been really impressed over the past several years by how many city leaders have stepped up to the plate and made those commitments to reduce emissions in the absence of that national leadership. And when the federal government wasn't there to commit to leading the world on climate, cities were there to lead that charge. And so some of the things we've got to do are remembering that partnerships are critical for success. And whether that's cities partnering with state and national governments, with the private sector, nonprofits, university partners, it's imperative that the communities find the solutions that fit them best and the financial support to do that. Because overall, it's clear from the way that city leaders are reacting to the climate crisis that they're on the front lines of climate change, with many of them already experiencing its worst impacts and others preparing for the impacts of sea level rise, wildfires, extreme heat, and more in the future. And so city leaders are being incredibly innovative when it comes to combating these kinds of challenges. But again, they need the partnership to make sure that we can do what we need to do to get there. 
So Brooks, it sounds like policymakers are starting to get more engaged in this transformation of urban areas. And so I'm just curious, looking forward to the next 10 years, what expectations do you have for the cities of the future? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm excited about the potential for cities to implement the newest technologies and some technologies that smart cities might turn to also come up with major problems. And we've seen this with racial profiling issues that are widespread and the use of facial recognition, which some cities' law enforcement departments might use. And so, again, it's looking at all of what can happen within the smart city realm, making sure we're focused on equity. And part of this will be finding smarter ways to use technology to safeguard all residents' privacy, which also helps ensure equity and anti-racism are part of development. To help accomplish these goals, I think we'll see cities focusing on surveillance policy and governance, data policy and governance, open data, and developing digital justice plans. And we're already seeing this in places like Boston, which recently started a collaboration with community advocacy groups on surveillance technology and data. And as technology advances, cities will have plenty of opportunities to use new and more data to make informed and smarter decisions. But to be successful, future smart city efforts will require stronger community engagement, trust, and transparency. Jane, what expectations do you have for cities of the future? I think the future is here. We're going to very shortly see the benefits of integrating all of the smart systems. And we're going to see how much time, money, and energy we're going to save. And we talked a little bit about inflation. Well, these should be deflationary forces and good for the economy. And if you look at things like electric vehicle charging, self-driving cars integrated with parking management systems could all work together to charge cars at night or while people are shopping, maybe with just one charger and no human being being involved in moving cars around the garage. So you might just be able to show up after your shop and pick up your car. So while it's still early, some of the applications are pretty interesting and they should drive a more connected and sustainable future. Brooks and Jane, I feel a lot smarter on the topic of smart cities. Thank you both for joining us on The Bid. Thank you. Thank you. This information is for informational purposes only and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecasts made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. The information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K. and non-European economic area, EEA, countries, this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, U.K. Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone, plus 44020-7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 02020394. 
For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. Please refer to the Financial Conduct Authority website for a list of authorized activities conducted by BlackRock. In the European Economic Area, EEA, this is issued by BlackRock Netherlands BV, is authorized and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. Registered Office, Amstelplein 1, 1096 HA, Amsterdam. Telephone, 020-549-5200. Telephone, 3120-549-5200. Trade Register Number, 1706-8311. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. For investors in Switzerland, this is marketing material. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited. Company registration number 20001014 n This advertisement or publication has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited ABN 13006165975 AFSL 230523BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. Before making any investment decision, you should assess whether the material is appropriate for you and obtain financial advice tailored to you having regard to your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, and circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund, nor shall any shares be offered or sold to anyone in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase, or sale would be unlawful under the securities law of that jurisdiction. If any funds are mentioned or inferred to in this material, it is possible that some or all of the funds may not have been registered with the securities regulator of Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, Panama, Peru, Uruguay, or any other securities regulator in any Latin American country, and thus may not be publicly offered within any such country. The securities regulators of such countries have not confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com forward slash MX. Copyright 2021, BlackRock Incorporated. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Incorporated. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.